Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, employees and private contractors. So, all right, Richard, there's a lot of angst, especially on the left these days, about private contractors, workers who contract out without all of the ballast that comes with being an employee. And we'll get to some of the specific examples of how this is playing out in a moment. But let's just start with the basics for our audience. What are the differences between a private contractor and an employee? And are there clear legal distinctions as to who gets classified as what? Okay. Well, the distinction often is phrased as one between independent contractors and employees. You know that you're in trouble when on the other side of the arrangements, you talk about the employer of an independent contractor or the employer of an employee. So clearly, the distinction cannot be as clear as anybody likes it to be. Uh, The usual way in which it is put is that an independent contractor has control over the way in which he does a task, and that task is assigned for him by the employer. Uh, So if you hire a plumber to come in to fix your toilets and so forth, he is an independent contractor because the boss man doesn't sit there and tell him how it is that he's supposed to take the thing apart and put it back together again. Uh, Whereas an employee is under much closer supervision than the employer. The other difference that often happens between these arrangements is oftentimes the independent contractor is himself an employer. Uh, So you go to a contracting firm that does plumbing and it sends one of its employees out there. And the fact that you have a second institution in there, the independent contracting firm, makes it easier easier to say that the independent contractor is in fact not the employee of the original employer. Uh, The other difference is that independent contractors often work for many people at the same time. Uh, So what they do is that they clean their houses. Uh, They do it as a service and they do 10 or 20 a week. If they tend to do only one of them, they're more likely to be classified as though they're an employee. Now, what's the difference in terms of the consequences? It's everything. Basically, the independent contractor is a more or less unregulated kind of an arrangement. So you can figure out how to put this thing together and there are no variety of mandates or taxes or obligations that are imposed upon the relationship. And if you start thinking about it, for just a simple thing. Assume that you have an independent contractor who works for 20 different people uh, and then they stop working for one of them. Should that one now have to pay unemployment compensation, for example, or Social Security? The numerosity and the fluidity of the arrangement make it a very bad target for regulation, whereas with an employee, it's much easier. So what the law has done is essentially leave the independent contractor alone and then it lards all sorts of protections on the employee, so-called. And these include, you know, start from the beginning, their minimum wage laws, their maximum hour laws, their rights to unionization, their health care coverages rules, their family leave rules of one kind or another, their overtime rules, you name it, it's subject to it. And so what happens is there is a natural tendency on the part of people to gravitate away from the 
independent contract right, from the employee side because of its cost and to try to reframe arrangements as though they are now independent contractors. So it's common, for example, in software houses or in law firms to hire people to come in for 30 hours a week and to say, you're an independent contractor, no health care benefits or anything else supplied. But if they come in every week and they only go to one firm, the law is going to say, hey, this regulation is meant to be binding on you. You can't defeat the power of the regulation simply by designating an employee as though it's an independent contractor. You have to look at the substance, not the form of the arrangements, and so you're off to the races. And this is a huge issue now because the heavier the regulations become on the employer's side, the greater the pressure to create independent contractors. Now, one of the flashpoints in this argument recently has been a dispute over how drivers for the car services Uber and Lyft should be classified. Both of those companies now currently hire their drivers as independent contractors. Explain what's going on here in this case. Well, I mean, there's so many different things going on that it's almost hard to keep them in track. (laughs) One set of issues that is going on here is simply the question of whether or not Uber and Lyft have honored the contracts that they've entered into with their various drivers. And, And so if the contract says X and the company doesn't provide it, you don't need to have a law dealing specially with employees or independent contractors to handle it. All you need to do is to give them an action for breach of contract with the appropriate remedies, damage specific performance or whatever it turns out to be. And so many people when they write about this subject get indignant about the way in which these companies honor their own promises. That isn't they call for a change in regulation. It's they call for better enforcement and it's an option for people to quit and it's a reputational hurt for the companies themselves. So that stuff should sort itself out again. Uh, but the lawsuits are a different matter entirely. And so some people are saying, look, you know, watch the way these people work. They can be terminated. They're evaluated by Uber and by Lyft and so forth. Uh, they have a great deal to say about the kinds of services and they drive and the cars they supply. And so really these people are employees. They're not independent contractors. And you're just putting a label on it. Now, this case is tricky because it's not like the cases I talked about earlier where in fact you have an independent employer of the plumber who's working for another firm. Uh, There's no intermediate between Uber and Lyft on the one hand and its various drivers on the other. And so the class action that's being brought in California, one against each company, both not coincidentally, I suspect, in San Francisco saying when you get to the bottom of all this stuff uh, the label doesn't control these people are really employees and they now are entitled to get retroactively a huge set of benefits on top of everything they've else that they've received from the company the judges who have heard these cases throw up their hands and say all of these distinctions were made for a different age we don't really know what it means and instead of coming down one way or the other what they say is they're going to have to have trials on it. And it's not clear what these trials will look like. It's not clear, for example, whether or not if one Uber driver is classified as an employee, all Uber drivers may be. And the same thing lift or whether or not you're going to have to do each case case by case because if it's a facts and circumstances rule if one guy who works for uber drives for them 30 hours a week and has no other job that may be one thing but if somebody is also riding a cab and he does other jobs on the side just chauffeuring friends and so forth and picks up the occasional ride here he may be an independent contractor and you can't run a business model with that degree of legal uncertainty which is why the companies are so nervous about this it's both the cost on the one hand and the confusion on the other. 
I mentioned a moment ago that on the political left, there's sort of a growing concern about the independent contractor status. Let me give you an example. This is uh, Robert Reich, former labor secretary in the Clinton administration, now at UC Berkeley, writing in the Huffington Post, quoting him here. It's become a race to the bottom. Once one business cuts costs by making its workers independent contractors, every other business in that industry has to do the same or face shrinking profits and a dwindling share of the market. Some workers prefer to be independent contractors because that way they get paid in cash or they like deciding what hours they'll work. Mostly though, they take these jobs because they can't find better ones and as the race to the bottom accelerates, they have fewer and fewer alternatives. How about that, Richard? Race to the bottom? Well, Robert Reich has always been a dreadful economist, and this is no <laughs> no exception to the general rule. It's not a race to the bottom. I mean, what happens is if you don't like the offer that you're getting from these companies in a competitive market, you can simply refuse to work for them. And so all you know from the typical observed situation, which is a repeat arrangement, both parties to the transaction regard themselves as better off than before. And in fact, if you can get out of the employee relationship, what it does mean is that not only do you get cash, but you're free from a lot of the bookkeeping and oversight costs, which are going to be shared by the two parties, even if the law formally puts them on only one. And and so I think what you really want to say, it's not a race to the bottom, it's a race to an unregulated form, which both parties regard as superior. And you can't tell whether it's bottom or top unless you know something about the dollars that are involved on both of these particular sides. And if the costs are lower for running an independent contractor arrangement, the net compensation in full may be higher to the particular workers. Now, do they want all these other benefits? I don't know. I mean, suppose you have somebody who's married and a spouse who has a health care program which covers both parties. Well, at that particular point, a second health care program may be redundant and taking pure cash may be much better from the point of view of that couple and so forth. And so my own attitude is don't start thinking this is shrinking alternatives. Uh, what you do when you say to people you can't opt into the independent contract. And now you've really shrunk alternatives because the only thing they could do is become an employee. And if it turns out that the company model doesn't scale easy to this kind of an arrangement, it could be that the uh, wages they're going to have to pay are not going to get higher, but the total costs are going to go up. The costs of the rise are going to go up. The number of people who go to the services are going to go down and everybody will be left worse off. I mean, I, Mr. Reich has a weird view of economics on these kinds of situations. The race for the bottom is not a language that works when you're talking about consensual arrangements. This is not a situation where somebody moves into a jurisdiction so as to render himself immune from suits for the torts that he committed. Because in those cases, there is no consensual arrangement between the parties. And you do have to worry about the fact that people have structured their arrangements in order to minimize their liabilities to strangers. To the point that you made a moment ago about how independent contractor status is becomes more appealing because of all the freight that we're putting on employment. (laughs) There are some policy types on the right who've lately taken to saying, you know what, you have to prioritize in politics. And in terms of economic growth, taxes, while they could stand to be reformed, are probably less important than getting rid of all this regulatory clutter in labor markets, all these factors that make it more expensive to, to hire someone, more expensive for somebody to get a job. Uh, are you sympathetic to that hierarchy? 
Yes, I am. I mean, look, my own view about it is you ideally you want a two-part program. You'd like to have broad, flat taxes um, on income, preferably on consumption if you could arrange for it. Uh, that's very difficult to obtain today. But more importantly, what happens is every time you put a regulation on a given particular voluntary transaction, that's a cost and it reduces the gains from trade. So the basic theorem is if the gains from trade that you hope to achieve are less than the taxes and regulatory compliance costs, the transaction won't take place. On the other hand, if it turns out that the regulations are less than the benefits you get, the regulation will take place, but the level of benefits that both parties secure from it will go down. So we've seen the consequences of this. We have an Obama administration which is absolutely committed to all of these kinds of things at the workplace level, and it's certainly committed to trying to raise median wages, what do we see? Median wages now are still below what they were in 2008. They dropped to a bottom somewhere in 2009 and 10. But the recovery rate has been very, very small. And every time you start looking at the numbers, it's clear that the people who are hurt most are those at the bottom. Explanation is as a percentage of total compensation, the regulations are relatively fixed. And so therefore, they have a bigger impact on contracts that have smaller dollar benefits associated with their operation. So this is a case of hurting the one that you love and deregulation under these circumstances ought to be what's going on and if in fact you do get deregulation you may get people going back to the employer stuff i don't know whether this would work with lyft or any or with uber i remember it's very difficult to run an employment relationships when people are scattered all over the globes they don't work regular hours they could sign in if they want to sign in don't sign in if they don't want to sign in where there are all sorts of peak load mechanisms that are put into place so that when you have for example rain or rush hours in new york city the uber rates can double in a very short period of time people come out then they go back again uh the degree of flexibility that the network promises is not particularly consistent with an employment relationship where you usually expect a more stable environment uh, and a more stable response to the environment, steady work hours on the clock, 40 hours a week, come at nine, leave at five. Doesn't look to me like this at all, which is why it is nobody knows what a jury is going to decide on these cases. And it's the ad hoc uncertainty is going to have a huge negative effect on the capital values of these companies because they can't run a business model where they have no idea what the expectations are that they're allowed to have with their employees because the government can always second guess it after the fact with an action for back pay. Uh, remember, going forward, if they know their employees, the wages go way down in order to offset the benefits, and it's not clear who comes out a winner. Generally speaking, regulation hurts both parties to the transaction unless both of them want it, and in this particular case, they don't. So final question, just very briefly. These companies like Uber and Lyft that really sort of rely on this level of flexibility, something we're seeing more and more in the new economy, how confident are you that they're going to be able to escape the, the heavy hand of, of government regulation really sort of taking a chunk out of their industry? In the long term. You can't. I mean, in the long term, they're going to have to be some kind of accommodations to them. But the, the most likely situation is there'll be some kind of ad hoc piece of legislation which will give the companies uniformity, but will nonetheless subject them to a higher level of regulation than they currently have, which I would regard as a retard to growth. But the thing to understand most about this is we have no idea how this thing is going to play out. We don't know how long it's going to take for this lawsuit to be resolved. We don't know whether states are going to intervene with direct regulation at the state level, whether they're going to be preempted by the federal 
federal government. Um, you go to some of these meetings of venture capitalists, they'll tell you all sorts of stories about perfectly viable business models that are shut down by want of government cooperation. So I'm not confident about anything in this case. Uh, my own view about it is that it's quite clear that there's a strong popular sentiment in favor of uh, the employee status for these kinds of workers. And so long as you have a state legislature like the one you see in California or a president like the one we have in the United States, uh, nobody can say that they're safe. Remember what Mark Twain said, no man's life, liberty, or property is safe so long as the legislature is in session. And to that, <laughs> we now have to add the courts. I mean, I think it's a very uncertain environment and I think it's a most unfortunate set of developments. But I have to tell you, the champions on the other side, the strong populist elements are very well organized on these issues and they're completely sophisticated in the way in which they do litigation and they have tried this tactic with success in all sorts of areas. They're doing it now with fringe benefits. They've done it with anti-discrimination laws. They're doing it with unionization. They're pummeling the employment relationship and the long-term effect is the workers who still survive in the job will do quite well indeed, but the number of workers who make it into these professions I think will be profoundly smaller than it ought to be by virtue of the cost that it puts on the relationship. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org. <laughs>